Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you've tuned into Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Halstead Real Estate, and I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and current vibe of our amazing city. On most shows, like tonight, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood, exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owner, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians, and artists. Sometimes we host a show about an interesting and vital color of the city that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. In prior episodes, we've covered the history of U.S. presidents who came from, lived in, or had some interesting history here in New York, about half of them, believe it or not. We've talked about the history of the women's suffrage movement in the city. We've talked about the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling. And we've even covered the history of punk and opera in New York. They were separate shows, by the way. We didn't put them back to back. In the future, we may journey to some of the city's parks or the subway or some of our grander train stations or the city in the age of a specific social or political movement. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast. You can hear us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. Tonight, we are journeying to an iconic New York neighborhood, New York neighborhood, one that many of our listeners have heard about but have never been to, and one that bears a lot of significance for me personally, Coney Island in Brooklyn. And uh, one of the special features about tonight is that the three of us who will be on the show are all Brooklyn natives, which uh, has not happened too often. My first guest is artist and local historian Richard Egan. Richard's artistic roots are considerably deep in Brooklyn, going back to his childhood haunts in Coney Island, where he and artist Philomena Morano founded the ad hoc and prescient Coney Island Hysterical Society in 1982. In 1978, Richard had been drawn by a series of dreams about Coney Island and so then began work on what has become an ongoing series of portraits of buildings and iconic places from his Coney Island past. A more abstract vein of work eventually emerged, which examined what might lie beneath familiar exterior surfaces, exterior surfaces, which we'll talk about. His work in Coney Island gave him a fateful case of having, quote, sand in his shoes, which drew him into the daily life of that most surreal playground. From the years he worked there as a shoe talker, a show talker, ride operator, and game agent, sorry about that, Richard, he eventually <laughs> developed a solo performance show called Alive on the Inside, which has been performed sporadically in theaters and galleries throughout New York City. And a hearty welcome to Richard Egan. Oh, so happy to be here. Uh, where in Brooklyn are you from originally, Richard? Oh, let's see. I was born on the eastern side of Prospect Park, what's now called uh, Prospect Lefferts Gardens. And you now just live on the other side of the park. Yes, indeed. Um, from where I live now, though, I probably would not be able to hear them cheering at Ebbets Field. Of course, if I lived back where I grew up, I wouldn't be able to hear that now either. Oh. Were you with, within earshot of Ebbets Field? Oh, absolutely. Ah, yeah. Ah. I knew when the Dodgers were doing well because the crowds would sh scream. Well, for those of our listeners who don't know what Ebbets Field was, uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers, the famous Brooklyn Dodgers, before they... Uh, uh, did New York uh, uh, a disservice and abandoned us and went to Los Angeles. Uh, people of my mother's generation still haven't forgiven them. And, uh, a little before my time, but I can understand it. When did you first go to Coney Island? What, what, how old were you? Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> I don't think I can pinpoint that, but I will tell you that I was 
oh gosh, maybe six, seven, something like that, eight. I had a grandfather who uh, was very charismatic. Uh, he was a um, recovering alcoholic and a kind of a, a, a natty, classic Brooklyn old school gentleman. And uh, he and I went to Coney Island frequently, especially to Steeplechase Park. And that was, for me, uh, that was a temple. As a matter of fact, I think Charlie Denson, uh, the director of the Coney Island History Project, refers to it in his book, Coney Island Lost and Found, as <laughs> Steeplechase Cathedral. Three acres of building shot through with sunlight and glass everywhere uh, that contained the most unusual, the most bizarre uh, and original uh, devices to throw people around that you could possibly imagine. Mm. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Coney Island in a bit. Um, but first, I'd like to talk to you about your art and your painting. You've been producing art about Coney Island, I think, since the late 70s. That's correct. What inspired you to create, create art of and about Coney Island? Well, I had, in the very late 70s, 78 maybe, I had a series of dreams uh, about my grandfather, Coney Island, and Steeplechase Park, uh, and other places and other people who were uh, in Coney Island. I dreamed, I must have had 10 of these over the course of a year. And I realized that it was extremely potent to me and that there was something I needed to be able to do with all that information. I had been uh, a cabinet maker. I ran a, uh, and was part of a co-op, uh, Brooklyn Woodworkers Co-op cabinet making shop and had been doing that for a good number of years. And it occurred to me, uh, not having thought of myself as, as an artist per se, that I had these skills, hand skills, eye skills, brain skills. And I decided to put them to work evoking places that I had loved so much or remembered in Coney Island. And I was obsessed with the notion of a steeplechase park, which, by the way, was torn down by the father of the sitting president, whose name shall not be mentioned. Uh, but his father owned that, bought the property from the Tillyu family, George C. Tillyu's heirs. Oh, so he just didn't buy the land where Trump Village is now. He, I didn't know that he. Oh bought no, that. no. Oh. Um, yeah, when the Tillyu family decided uh, to get out of Coney Island, um, they sold the property uh, to uh, that person. <laughs> My mother has fun. <laughs> My mother is, is 81 years old. She grew up in Coney Island. She has very fond memories as a child of Steeplechase Park. Oh, my God, yes. And one of the funny things she told me was that there was this clown who, when uh, women with skirts would come off some of the rides, he would uh, blow the skirts up with, uh, uh, with air. In fact, uh, uh, I understand that that was one of the inspirations for the scene in The Seven-Year Itch with Marilyn Monroe and her, <laughs> and her, and her dress coming up, uh, her skirt coming up over the subway grates. Yes, indeed. Uh, that was a classic a uh, post-turn-of-the-century amusement park device that, you know, walking through a rolling barrel, uh, floors that shook and shimmied as you tried to walk across them, and 
at the end of the steeplechase ride itself, which was a horse race course that ran all the way around the building, uh, to get off, you either went through one door and you'd be out on the sidewalk or wherever you were, and if you went the other way, you'd find yourself on a stage that you had to cross to make an exit. And there was a whole audience of people sitting out there watching as Angelo, the dwarf clown, either smacked them in the rear end with a slapstick uh, or pressed the compressed air and shot the skirts up to the ceiling. It was a riot. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, and that and I think Steeplechase Park closed in the, in the '60s, was it? '64, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. All right, well, it's a, it, I think it's a good opportunity to 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 talk about the history of Coney Island um, briefly for them. So, those of our listeners who really don't know much about its history, Coney Island is known as uh, one of the country's first amusement parks and playground, um, but it's not a typical New York neighborhood. Um, it's sometimes described as heaven at the end of a subway ride. <laughs> Um, it wasn't always a resort. Um, one interesting thing about it is that it was one of the first places in the area that would have been seen by Henry Hudson as he sailed into what would become New York Bay. Uh, that was more than 400 years ago. Yeah. Of course, because it juts out into, into the lower bay. Where does the name Coney Island come from? Oh, well, the legend has it. And I don't speak Dutch, but um, the Dutch for rabbit is uh, spelled K-O-N-E-N, and allegedly uh, the dunes were just teeming with rabbits huh. uh, right there at the, uh, at the edge of the water. So it eventually became known as Conan or Coney, Coney Island, I guess. Uh, if you look up Coney in the dictionary, you'll find there's a reference to hares, rabbits. Yeah. Well, before Coney Island became a center of amusements, uh, it was a beach resort, Yep. Um, as New York industrialized after the Civil War and as the population grew, because it was uh, the air was cooler in the summer months and also because it was closer to the city, uh, there were some local railroads that were that were built. Oh, indeed. Uh, including some of the uh, uh, the uh, the Brighton Line now actually goes on the cut that was from the original Manhattan Beach Railroad. So we, we mm -hmm. still have some of that you know some of that infrastructure with us. Um, there were hotels that were built in the 1870s and 1880s, right? Um, and also two adjacent communities, Brighton Beach and, and Manhattan Beach, where I where I grew up. Well, there were giant luxury hotels in Manhattan Beach and out in Brighton Beach uh, that really preceded Coney Island's uh, growth and development as a as a resort. When did uh, amusement start coming to Coney Island, Richard? Well. Uh, the roller coaster, for example, was uh, invented and developed by LaMarcus Thompson, uh, and that would have been 1887, I believe. Um, was that the count? Was that in uh, the Switchback Railroad? Uh, LaMarcus A. Thompson yeah. Switchback Railway. Ah, yeah, wow. there was a, a, a LaMarcus Thompson Railroad still, or a Switchback roller coaster still in operation uh, when I was a child, although I never saw it. Uh, and when was the cyclone built? Almost everybody knows about the cyclone, although believe it or not, I've actually never been on the thing. <laughs> well, I had this, this long-time fear of uh, roller coasters, which I didn't get over until I became an adult and stopped going to Coney Island. Oh, my gosh. so close to where I grew up. Well, the cyclone, the Thunderbolt, and the Tornado were the last three classic coasters built in the 20s. Um, the Tornado was unceremoniously... Uh, um, 
<laughs> well, it burned down one night. Let's put it that way. Somebody, uh, as they're fond of saying in Coney Island, there's a short in the cash register. <laughs> so, uh, and the Thunderbolt coaster, um, after it stopped operating, was uh, torn down in the middle of the night by uh, orders of uh, then-Mayor Rudy Giuliani. So the Cyclone remains the great remaining classic coaster from that era. I would say... 1920, gee, I'm not sure, seven, eight, something like that. 1927. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. You know, I got to tell, have you never been on that ride? I've never been, I only got into, uh, I had two friends in the early 90s who couldn't believe that I was afraid of roller coasters. They took me to Great Adventure and they made me get into the front car of all of them and I got over my fear of roller coasters, but I've still never been on the Cyclone. Well, the Cyclone is... I'm almost 60 and I've never been on the Cyclone. It's a very muscular ride. It was built into a small piece of property, so all the twists and turns and hills had to be engineered just so and it's a great, great thrill. We're going to take a break in a minute, but I, I uh, talk about personal connections. I've got it. There was uh, there was body entertainment in Coney Island around this time. I have to tell a, a quick story. Uh, my husband's grandparents honeymooned in Coney Island in 1915, and Ralph's grandmother told him that they went into uh, a theater, and who was performing but Mae West? It was a vaudeville act. Uh, she came out on a donkey holding a cat, and her opening line was, "Hi, boys." You can touch my ass, but don't touch my pussy. <laughs> word for word of a grandmother. Ralph said her good moral Irish grandmother stormed out of the theater. Um, he didn't say what his grandfather did, but I'm assuming he followed uh, his bride out the door and uh, they made uh, uh, found other things to do in Coney Island. Anyway, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Richard Egan. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day.
We're back to Rediscovering New York, and this week's episode, uh, Coney Island, one of New York's most iconic neighborhoods and one that has a lot of meaning for me personally. Um, Richard, if people want to, we're going to talk some of, uh, about some of the things you've done also, like the Coney Island Hysterical Society. Um, uh, how can people find out about some of, the, some of the projects that you work on? What are some of the websites and what are some of the initiatives that uh, are coming up? Well, the Hysterical Society, I have to say, uh, is inactive. And we've been inactive for quite a while. But Philomena Morano and myself, uh, we are still pursuing studio art projects that have to do with Coney Island. And we're working on a joint project uh, that will sort of illuminate the days that we spent in Coney Island, why we got involved, and uh, the work that came out of it. Uh, Right now, in terms of getting involved uh, and uh, seeing about the history And, uh, well, the history of Coney Island, uh, there is the Coney Island History Project, um, the website of which must be, uh, well, Google Coney Island History Project. I think it's ConeyIslandHistoryProject.org. It makes perfect sense. Or Coney Island USA, of course. And Dick Ziggin founded Coney Island USA about the time that Philomena and I went to Coney Island as the Hysterical Society. And they have been going strong and stronger ever since. And their innovations and their bringing back of uh, sacred traditions and adding on to those traditions uh, has had a major impact on the regeneration of Coney Island. And Coney Island USA has been operating, I think, since 1981. Is that? Uh, uh, that's about right. Yeah. Yes. I think our for the first mermaid parade was 82. Um, you know, on a personal note, I have to say, uh, uh, I was married two months ago, and the first place where we had the wedding was at Coney Island, USA. We'll talk about the second place in the second half of the program. <laughs> um, uh, there's an important uh, uh, public event coming up uh, that is designed to help uh, to stop some of the disintegration of culture in Coney Island. Do you want to talk about that in the, in the rally? That's oh, coming yes, up yes, yes. Uh, when uh, uh, Thor Equities... Uh, came to Coney Island and started buying up property. Uh, The the Coney Island has always been a collection of mom-and-pop stores, so to speak. That's been its um, glory, and it's also uh, put it in great danger uh, because a lot of the people who owned businesses, rides, properties in Coney Island were aging out and heeding the call of the Florida sunshine or something to that effect. And Thor Equities walked in and bought an awful lot of property, and there was a whole thing about the corporatization and the shrinking of the amusement, the C7 amusement zone, uh, and the zoning was changed by the last uh, uh, councilman uh, to permit large luxury hotels, none of which have been built at this point. At any rate... um, now that I've gotten off the subject, uh, just remind me what your question was. Uh, it was about the rally happening at the City rally. Hall on Thursday. Oh, night. yes. So we, had a, uh, we staged a rally on the steps of City Hall to bring attention to the fact that Coney Island was in danger of disappearing. And now we are facing another danger, which is uh, the long-term leaseholder, Luna Park, uh, the Zamperla Ride uh, Manufacturing Company, um, they had a 10-year lease on their own property, the, the central property, and the, the 
many of the boardwalk businesses. And now that the leases are up, they want to raise the rents to a point where none of those small businesses will be able to survive any longer. So we're having a rally on the steps of City Hall on Thursday, December 5th, uh, at 1 p.m. And all of those people who are interested in preserving the vitality, the diversity, and the uniqueness of Coney Island should stop by City Hall Thursday to save Coney Island yet again. Mm. Well, Coney Island is a very important part of the fabric of this amazing city, and uh, we really would be horrible to lose any more of it that, that have, than we've already lost over the years. Um, I want to go back uh, to your art. Uh, in 1985, you were featured in a group exhibition called Sideshows by the Seashore. What kind of pieces did you, did you have in, the, in that show? I had, um, by that time, done a number of portraits of places that were in danger or no longer or about which I felt particularly um, strongly. Uh, one being uh, the house and the roller coaster, uh, that was the Thunderbolt roller coaster, which was, uh, let's start again, there was a hotel uh, called the Kensington right along a street that led to the beach called Kensington Walk. Isn't that where Abe Rellis met his uh, end? No, no Abe Rellis met his end at the Half Moon Hotel. Okay, right, right. Okay. Down, the, uh, down the boardwalk. And speaking of ha the Half Moon was the name of the ship that Henry Hudson... Of course, yes, of yes. course. At any rate, uh, George Moran, who uh, bought the hotel, decided he wanted to put in a roller coaster because it was the coming wave of mechanical amusements, and he built this roller coaster right through the house itself. Anyone who had seen Annie Hall, oh, Woody yeah. Allen, <laughs> he allegedly grew up in a house under a roller coaster. That was it. Yeah. I actually think Woody Allen grew up in Brighton Beach, but uh, maybe uh, I'm wrong about that one. So, but, but somebody grew up in that house. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. And uh, so I did a portrait of the house and the coaster, of the old Tunnel of Laughs building, um, uh, many, many small storefronts and buildings that had once been theaters or hotels that had been then repurposed to accommodate the mechanical rides that were the wave of the future in the 1920s. That's the kind of uh, work that I exhibited. You worked on a project called the Coney Island Spook House. What was yes. that? <laughs> yes. And I got to preface it by saying that uh, uh, for those who may not know, uh, the Spookarama was an amazing ride, still is, and for a long time it was actually the longest spook ride of any amusement park in the world. As a kid and as an adolescent, actually, it was one of my favorite rides in Coney Island. I used to love the Spookarama. Oh, great. What, what was the Spook House? The well, House? did you ever go on a ride called the Dragon's Cave ride? I don't remember. Well, it was owned and operated by the Kaufman brothers. Norman Kaufman uh, was a beloved... Uh, ride uh, operator and owner in Coney Island and his brother uh, Sporty. Uh, Philomena and I were doing a huge mural um, calling for the re uh, rebuilding of Steeplechase Park on the side of this building and we got to know Sporty and Sporty said he was going to give it up and as I said before, he'd the Florida sunshine and was going to sell his business. So we got the notion of approaching Nathan's that owned the property itself, and we made an arrangement with them to rent 
the building and the equipment, and we turned it into a thing called the Coney Island Spook House using the talents of over 15 artists and local youth who wanted to get involved in this project. And we ran it for a, one season until there was a fire in a walkthrough funhouse at Great Adventure Amusement Park that took the lives of some teenagers and the insurance rates were skyrocketed from that point on and Nathan's didn't want to pick up the tab on that so we had to close oh. unfortunately but it was like a what we descri describe as a ride through gallery in the dark we had many of the old spook house gimmicks the Frankenstein leaping out of the chair <laughs> and all that stuff and then we had installations by artists who wanted to get involved and each of the cars which held two riders was painted by a different artist and it was quite a spectacular little thing, uh, but only one season because the costs were astronomical. Oh. By the way, I have to uh, provide a little plug, a big plug for Coney Island, USA. Uh, they're dedicated to preserving and promoting the, the traditional arts of Coney Island. They have a museum on the top floor. Uh, they do, and Lisa Mangles Schaefer, who is Coney Island royalty of a sort herself, I think like one of your next guests uh, here, um, she is the granddaughter of William Mangles, who had a factory in Coney Island, where the Department of Motor Vehicles now is, uh, that manufactured carousel works, yes. kitty rides, and uh, the mechanics for many, many of the rides in Coney Island. And she is the curator of the Coney Island USA Museum, and it's just fabulous. Mm. Um, has Coney Island's other leisure history of being a beach resort also influenced your art of the neighborhood? Being a beach resort? Uh, I mean, this is obviously older back in the, you know, well, people still went to the beach in Coney Island until... Well, yes, they did. I mean... And still do, but... Uh, they do in numbers now uh, more than we've seen in, you know, two, three, and four decades past. But in the old days, of course, don't forget there was no air conditioning. And people went and they slept on the beach. Mm. And as they always say, 10 degrees cooler at the shore. And indeed it, it was, and it still is. And when I mean, those are, those are what one uh, beloved member of the po uh, Coney Island Polar Bear Club and a photographer um, calls the medicinal waters off the south end of the shore of Brooklyn. Talk about a small world. I have a, a childhood friend. His name is John Rosenblum, who's invited me <laughs> to join the polar bears Jan every January 1st. I almost did once, but I've never done oh, it. Oh, take the uh, plunge. Take uh, the take plunge. plunge. Uh, maybe when it's not so cold, when, when, when New Year's morning, if I'm up that, at, at the crack of dawn. Um, and also to your uh, point about the beach, uh, when the BMT subway line opened to Coney Island, I think it was in the early 20s, you could get there for a nickel. Oh, yeah. That, that was a big, you know, uh, that opened it up to people who might not have been able to Indeed. take the railroad down. Poor man's paradise, the Nickel Empire, certainly. Mm -hmm. um, we're almost out of time, Richard. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, have you seen Coney Island change since you started being part of the community there as an artist? Well, yes. I mean, I came to Coney Island. I was called back there by these dreams that I had. And. Uh, it was, it brought me to tears. It was sad, depressed, uh, angry, dirty, um, and tattered. 
And I think the work that we did as artists and as Coney Island USA and Dick Ziggin did as artists. Also known as the mayor of Coney Island. Mayor, Dick, yes, yeah. the un permanently unelected <laughs> mayor of Coney Island. Um, we drew the eventual uh, attention of the city and of real estate developers. And things went up from there. I have to say that um, Luna Park and all that development uh, has been a godsend. Uh, and you go down to Coney Island uh, these days of a summer day, and the streets are jammed, and the beach is packed. Uh, just one closing note. I want to mention something about the influence uh, worldwide of Coney Island and its reputation. Um, my last trip to Sydney, I might have been 10 or 11 years ago, Sydney down under, uh, uh, across Sydney, har across the harbor, there was an amusement park called Luna Park. Yes, indeed. The rides weren't as great, they weren't as much fun, but the spirit was there. And uh, Ozzy uh, really uh, uh, took something special from us and recreated it. Well, let me just say, if I may, um, I, I want to give my web address. Should Please, yes, yes. People yes. be... Uh, looking for my um, wherewithal and to see the images. It's richardegan.net. That's Richard E A G A N dot net. And uh, a lot of the work that I did, the Coney Island work, is uh, pictured there. And people can get in touch that way as well. Well, great. Richard, thank you so much for being my first guest on today's special show about Coney Island. We've been speaking with Richard Egan, artist, local historian, and very much part of the spirit of Coney Island. Uh, we'll be back in a minute with our second special guest. Uh, stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day.
We're back, and you're back to Rediscovering New York and our show tonight about Coney Island. Uh, support for the show comes from our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And support also comes from the law offices of Thomas Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317. Our show is about New York, especially its neighborhoods and the myriad textures of this amazing city. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halstead. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. You can hear him on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook, Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest, even though the program is not a show about the real estate business in New York, when I'm not on the air on this program, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city. I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you all with those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Well, I mentioned uh, a special guest for the second part of the show, which we have, and it's special uh, because uh, Rachel Russo is one of the family owners of the business where I had the second part of my wedding, not a couple of months ago, Gargiulo's Restaurant. Uh, Rachel's full name is Rafaela Russo. She's co-owner and event coordinator at Gargiulo's. She holds a Master of Science degree in teacher education in phys ed from CUNY in Brooklyn. Uh, Ray, as she's known professionally, is a certified teacher. She was the physical education lead teacher in several elementary schools in Brooklyn and Queens. She also served as moderator on Middle States accreditation teams, creating after-school programs for the inner city youth she instructed, and was head coach of many intramural and interdiocesan teams. Ray joined the family business in 1978, starting as an assistant in the kitchen. Bitten by the family entrepreneurial bug, she opened several businesses over the next two decades, including the Finish Line Party Center, that's a children's play space, TFL Party Planners, New York Balloon and Basket Company, as well as several e-commerce businesses. She was a founding member of the NYC Balloon Network, that's a professional international trade organization, and BalloonPlanet.com. Returning to Gargiulo's in 2016, Ray has contributed to the resurgence of the family business. She's increased social and corporate bookings for events, like my wedding, <laughs> coordinated with vendors and clients, and enjoys working as hostess for in-house events, including Gargiulo's Pizza Garden, holiday dinners, and special events. Ray looks forward to the continued furthering of her parents' dream of keeping work and family together, and indeed they do, participating in business forums and workshops and events that promote empowerment. Ray, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. Welcome. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. You are actually from Coney Island. You grew up in Coney Island. I was born in Coney Island. Uh -oh. And uh, you've lived around Brooklyn throughout your years. Yes. yes. You've had quite an extensive career outside of the restaurant business, which we'll get to in a bit. But I'd like to speak with you briefly about your career before you decided that you wanted to go into the family business. 
What did you like most about your career as a teacher and specifically as your work as a coach? Oh, I loved working with the, with the children and um, the inner city youth and, and getting them motivated to enjoy coming to school. And although I was the phys ed teacher, I was the fun teacher. You know, all the children loved to come to my class. But, we, but it was important to me to make sure they knew the rules, regulations, and all the things that were incorporated in, in learning a sport. I can't believe you gave tests, Miss Russo. I gave tests in gym. How do you give a test in gym? Well, we did. We gave them like rules, um, you know, just to know simple things like that. And um, it was part of the education process for the for the students. I taught kindergarten. I didn't give them tests all through all through uh, eighth grade. So I was. Uh, I was involved in that for eight years. And that was at the Board of Ed, the then Board of Ed. Actually, I taught in uh, the Diocese of Brooklyn, in uh, in Brooklyn and Queens. I taught for Catholic school. Yes. Well, a very noble profession. I dare say God's work, especially with Mm -hmm. with inner city kids. Um, And then at some point, you decided to take a more entrepreneurial turn. Um, Tell us about the Finish Line Party Center. What what was that? Well, that evolved basically after, after... I, my partner, Jane Parmel, and I, we were teaching together, and I said, you know, I really don't want to teach anymore. It got to a point where the administration, dealing with the parents, dealing with the administration, said I had had enough and wanted to go on to do, um, to, to my own business. And Jane and I decided to open up a children's play space where we ran mom, Mommy and Me class, classes, and we also did, um, you know, parties. So I took my, my knowledge from working at Gargiulo's and handling parties to a lower level in the sense, to, uh, you know, children's parties. And uh, I always had that in mind when, I was, when we started our business. And it evolved into event planning, doing invitations for weddings and birthdays. And eventually that evolved into a, a major balloon business. We were one of the city's biggest balloon decorators. When did you start Balloon Planet? Well, we didn't start Balloon Planet. We had New York Balloon and Basket, and okay. we worked with Balloon Planet, which was similar to an FTD uh, for balloons. They still are in business, and our business has has folded since then. But we were in uh, Jane and I were in business for over twenty three years, twenty four years in the um, you know the event the event business, and it was a wonderful business. But it was time to to move on. Well, one thing I'd never heard of before was a balloon network. Yes. <laughs> what is the New York City Balloon Network? Well, the New York City Balloon Network was was um, crafted basically to get um, entrepreneurs in the balloon business to network with one another. And, and in order to advance their businesses, we would kind of pool our, our resources. And what we did was we taught each other how to, uh, you know, create balloon arches and and specialty decor that was involved in many of the um, you know the parties that we had done so it was a, it was a network within New York it, basically in Brooklyn we basically started it and and it was held at our our shop on West 15th Street and right across from Gargiulo's and we would have meetings there once a month and people and we taught our competitors how to create balloon beautiful balloon designs. <laughs> 
Are we you were still teachers. engaged at all with 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 ballooning? No, that, have, below, that, that once we've really. I mean, Jane was a very integral part of our uh, business. Jane's in the studio, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> she uh, she was always very into getting everyone together and and really giving up all the information to make people just do their jobs better, you know, and we weren't with the kind of place that would, especially in the balloon business, people would open up their trunk, pull out a helium tank and a bunch of balloons and put it together. We were true decorators where we had a shop people could come to, not like Party City. We had a really specialty shop where we could show you all the beautiful designs that we learned how to do. Um, and they still have networking events that go on throughout the USA and throughout the world. It's the world. Um, you are, it's what's the network? Um, yeah, it's it's an international network of balloon people. But we did that. And also, of course, uh, just continued with our event planning and everything just seemed to one thing led to another. So and back to the family business. Right. Well, basically. one thing I do want to say about about mm -hmm. balloons is that they bring people such joy with the That's colors true. and the arrangements and the creativity mm -hmm. uh, and parades and parties. It's, Absolutely. You know, you see it, they're really, really beautiful. Um, I want to talk about the history of Gargiulo's. Um, it's actually one of Brooklyn's oldest restaurants before mm -hmm. your, your, your family uh, bought it, I think, in the early 60s. When was Gargiulo started? Gargiulo started in 1907 and celebrated 100 years in uh, 2007. And my family, the Russos, uh, my father, Victor, his brother, Michael, and uh, Nino, bought the restaurant from the original Gargiulo family in 1965. So in June 1965, we um, t took over Gargiulo's from the original Gargiulo family. So there have only been two owners of, the Gargiulo, uh, of Gargiulo's restaurant. Everyone thinks... In 110 years. In 112 years. Wow. wow. Correct. Correct. Uh, I have a little plug for the food. It, it, uh, it's fantastic Neapolitan cuisine. And part of my family is from, is from Naples and outside. Uh, it was actually one of three, when I was growing up, one of the three Southern Italian restaurants. Gargiulo's was, was the was the market one. There was Carolina's, which the food was, was also great. And, uh, and then, of course, there was Stella's, but uh, right. a little bit of a different Well, Carolina's experience. and Stella's have been uh, long gone, and uh, Gargiulo's still standing mm -hmm. with our tuxedoed waiters. And um, it's, it's a wonderful experience for people to come down to Coney Island and visit Gargiulo's. But... They have to be dressed properly to yes. come into the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. As well it should be. Yes. You know, one thing that strikes me about um, uh, family business and how much it is a family business is between uh, lunch and dinner, you can always find all of you around that table, That's you right. know, having your, having your dinner. Which right. Is, you know, At 2.30 every afternoon yeah. uh, during the week, we are, uh, as a family, get together and, and have lunch. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the major milestones for your family in owning in owning the business? Well, my my father and his brothers took over the restaurant in '65, and it was a struggle because the area wasn't doing well at the time. Um, it it was just very dark, as uh, Richard had said. It's, it was very dark time in Coney Island, and and people were coming, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't really plentiful enough. And and so, what had your dad and your uncles decide that in that time that they were going to buy the business there? They wanted a, a larger business. They had owned a restaurant on uh, Coney Island, actually on Avenue J. It was called Da Luigi. My grandfather's name was Luigi. So um, many of the names uh, that are affiliated with our family have to do with our f with the family um, background, and uh, 
um, from that point, when we bought Gargiulo's in, in 1965, we eventually, we stood fast, held, held our own for many years, and in 1977, we received uh, three stars from the New York Times through Mimi Sheridan. That was the turning point for Gargiulo's, for our family, because things started changing, but it still was pretty tough to, to have a business in Coney Island, especially, uh, you know, a, a fine dining establishment, yes. you at know. at the time that the, that the neighborhood right. in the area was declining in the 60s and the 70s. Correct, yes. But one thing that your family did is they created a catering business and built that uh, is catering right. halls, yes. And that was in the late 80s, uh, 80, in like mid-80s, we opened up the catering hall mm-hmm. for events, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have some personal experience with that. <laughs> we had our wedding at Gargiulo's. It was fabulous. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Ray Russo and talk uh, a little bit more about the business and Coney Island. We'll be back in a minute. Very good. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. We're back to Rediscovering New York and our second guest, Ray Russo from Gargiulo's. Ray, if people wanted to find out about the great catering and also the food at Gargiulo's, how would they do that? Well, you could visit our website at gargiulo's.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do um, go on info at gargiulo's.com or you can uh, email me directly, R-A-E. At Gargiulos.com. And by the way, there are a lot of people who mispronounce the name and then who therefore misspell it. Some people call it Gargiulios. It's not Gargiulios. It's Gargiulos. So the spelling is G-A-R-G-I-U-L-O-S.com. That's great. Yes. Um, now I want to come back to, uh, to Coney Island. Um, uh, you grew up in Coney Island. Um, what do you like about the changes, the more recent changes that you've seen in the neighborhood? It's... It's alive again. It's so much more than having the 
women of the evening hanging on, ha hanging out on the corners back in the day when I was really young, and you would be afraid to walk the street, to uh, going around and enjoying the park, the boardwalk. The boardwalk is amazing. You know, you go up and down. It's beautiful. Um, and the pier also that extends way, exactly. way out into the ocean. Yes. Um, describe the vibe of the present day Coney Island, Ray. What... Um, what is it that you that you like about it that maybe you knew about, about well, the you know, neighborhood? Well, you know, I find that a lot of internet people coming from all over to visit Gargiulo's and visit Coney Island, uh, we have a great influx of of people coming from all over the world to just visit Coney Island. It's been a, de a you know a vacation destination. When they're in Manhattan, staying in Manhattan, they find their way to Coney Island to, to enjoy the New York Aquarium, which is wonderful. They've redone uh, the aquarium. So that's another high point of, uh, of you know, Coney Island. You could go there all year round. You mean they've redone the aquarium, uh, uh, aquarium since Sandy? That's correct, right. yes. I also want to say that Gargiulo's, uh, sadly, was one of the businesses uh, that had some substantial damage as a result of Sandy and was closed for a while. Um, but I suppose in the Phoenix in the Ashes, there was a, um, uh, a redesign of the dining room. That's right. Uh, but uh, if you go to Gargiulo's now, this had nothing to do with Sandy. Some people uh, still talk about the octopus. The octopus, We talked yeah. about that briefly. There was a big old octopus. Well, I don't know if it was that old, but a big octopus at the top of the, uh, of the dining room. And it's, a, it, it's an interesting story about why it's not there anymore. Do you want to share it with us? Well, the um, octopus was put on the ceiling. Um, it was... We, had, we used to have these dinners for the New York Aquarium to raise money. My uh, family was uh, involved with uh, Father George, who was, the, was in charge of the aquarium at the time, and we, they would do annual fundraising. And my uncle, who was very artistic, my Uncle Ralph, he, he carved out this octopus out of styrofoam with his you know kids and all that and they they put it on the ceiling so it was it was suspended on the ceiling and it wasn't heavy so people said oh wow how did you get that up there but it was uh, you know he also had made a huge um uh whale that they had made many years ago and it was 19, around 1976 when they were doing the dinners for the New York Aquarium that he created this styrofoam whale and then he, the year later, he did the octopus. And that was on the ceiling for, it had to be 10 years at least. You know, and people remember it. Children, you know, people, you know, like you coming to Gargiulo's remembering the octopus on the ceiling. People still think, where is the octopus? Well, it's in the, it's in the ocean now, I think, <laughs> somewhere. Because it disappeared. Oh. Um, aside from the aquarium and the rides, um, is there anything about Coney Island as a neighborhood that you think make it unique? Well, as a neighborhood, it's a, it's a tourist destination, I think, now. Um, the neighborhood is growing. It's changing. Um, many of the people that I think live in the Brighton Beach area have moved. Uh, the Russian community has moved down into Coney Island as well. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a great place to be by the water and enjoy, enjoy, you know, the beauty of the beach, you know, and enjoy the beach. That's basically what's great about Coney Island. Uh, and actually that, when I was growing up, that's something that we didn't go to at the beach, you know, no. uh, uh, but it's great to hear that people are, um, do you have a sense if the regulars at your restaurant come from different places now than they did in, oh, in years past? Oh, absolutely. Many people come back because of their roots 
in uh, Brooklyn, Bensonhurst and Sheepshead Bay and Brighton and, and Midwood, and who went to high school and, and had uh, their graduation party at Gargiulo's or who got married there. <laughs> we have we have pictures from 1937 in the main dining room from t- taken from the uh, balcony room that we have in the balcony they would uh, have photographers take pictures of the weddings and then develop them in the coat room so that they would take the pictures from the wedding that night otherwise they would never sell the pictures so it was the photographer that worked the, those events Back in the day, this is a story. When you needed a dark room. <laughs> exactly. So these are the stories I heard as, you know, growing up. I suppose there are some listeners who don't know what a dark room is before electronic <laughs> photographs. You had to uh, take uh, uh, photographs on uh, 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 film. You had to develop it in a dark room so it didn't expose the light. And then you made prints with this complicated machinery. God, That's it seems right. like such ancient history now. Um, as a business owner, um, is there anything that you struggle with in Coney Island now? As a business, well, it, there's always the struggle of, you know what our biggest problem right now is? Finding the right employee. Uh, back in the day, it was so easy to find staff to work a party or to be. You have a, great staff. I mean, whenever I've yes, been to eat, I love you. the wait staff. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very great. professional. And they, they, many of the staff in our main dining room have been there for over 25 years. And um, it's, it, it evolves. You know, every few years you, you, cre- you have a new staff come in and you have to train them. And it's hard to get the right person to stick with us. Um, but we do have a, a lot of uh, great people that work at Gargiulo's, you know, especially, you know, in the main dining room and the kitchen. If we didn't have the people in the kitchen, we wouldn't be able to serve the people that we have come into the restaurant. And it takes a really big, not only big, but a dedicated staff to make a business like yours run Absolutely. effectively and seamlessly. Um, you and your family have been part of Coney Island and its fabric for a long time, for generations. Um, is there anything that you find that surprises you about the neighborhood anymore? Surprises me. Yeah. Not really. Oh. Okay. <laughs> no. It's sort of a pointed question I like uh, to ask. You know why? Because I think of Coney Island as always like that, that crazy place that people want to come to visit, and nothing surprises me in Coney Island. What advice would you have for someone who's looking to open up a business in Coney Island? Obviously not to be in direct competition no, with uh, a Neapolitan it, cuisine, but... It wouldn't be an issue, but um, I would say that need to be involved with the community. Um, we have uh, the New York... I mean, I'm sorry, the Coney Island Alliance. They're a group of people that help business owners, you know, work, work within the community. And I think that they're helpful. So get involved with the community if you have a business or if you want to open a business in Coney Island, that would be very important, you know, to, to become part of, um, you know, the, um, the organizations that, that work within, the, within Coney Island. Hmm. And you and your family have been very involved with the, with the, with the fabric of organizations in, mm-hmm. in Coney Island. Um, and uh, maybe the minute we have left, I want to ask you, are there any interesting or colorful neighborhood personalities that you have come to know? And it could be from years past right. who are no longer here before because they moved on to somewhere. Well, I would definitely say my, my father and my, my uncles were definitely characters of Coney Island. But I was talking to Richard earlier, and we knew um, one of the original, well, one of the owners of, of the Wonder Wheel many years ago that I remember as a child was Freddie Garms. He was a character. (laughs) 
the, he was very energetic. He loved his ride, and he would do anything to get people to come to ride the ro- the uh, Wonder Wheel. And the crazy thing about the Wonder Wheel is it wasn't just um, you know a Ferris wheel. It was it had moving parts, so it would have this swinging car. Swinging cars. I love the swinging cars. That was one of my favorite rides at Coney Island. And you way. would swing out, and people would be petrified, yeah. you know, <laughs> because they didn't realize it would swing out so far. But Freddie Garms was really a character, hmm. and he was wonderful. Well, Ray, thank you so much. It was great having you on the show. Thank and a special you, Jeff, for, for to have me. You, to, have, to have you here. Um, well, we've just finished this week's journey to Coney Island. Uh, if you have comments or questions about the show or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook uh, and also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. That handle is jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, Mortgage Strategists at Freedom Mortgage, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I am Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent in Halstead in New York City, and whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I are dedicated to our clients and come to our work with passion and bring the best expertise in New York City real estate. You can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Stay tuned at 8 p.m. right here on talkradio.nyc for Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way with Noreen Sumter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners, looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc.
You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 